Chapter Four of the Four Million. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Four Million by O. Henry. Chapter Four Between Rounds. The May moon shone bright upon the private boarding house of Mrs. Murphy. By reference to the almanac, a large amount of territory will be discovered upon which its rays also fell spring was in its heyday with hay fever soon to follow the parks were green with new leaves and buyers for the western and southern trade flowers and summer resort agents were blowing the air and answers to lawson were growing milder hand organs fountains and pinochle were playing everywhere the windows of mrs murphy's boarding-house were open a group of boarders were seated on the high stoop upon round flat mats like german pancakes in one of the second-floor front windows, Mrs. McCaskey awaited her husband. Supper was cooling on the table. Its heat went into Mrs. McCaskey. At nine, Mr. McCaskey came. He carried his coat on his arm and his pipe in his teeth, and he apologized for disturbing the boarders on the steps as he selected spots of stone between them on which to set his size nine with D's. As he opened the door of his room, he received a surprise. Instead of the usual stove-lid or potato-masher for him to dodge, came only words. Mr. McCaskey reckoned that the benign May moon had softened the breast of his spouse. "'I heard ya,' came the oil substitutes for kitchenware. "'You can apologize to riff-raff of the streets for setting your unhandy feet on the tails of their frocks. But you'd walk on the neck of your wife the length of a clothesline without so much as a kiss-me-foot. And I'm sure it's that long from rubberin' out the windy for you and the victuals cold such as there's money to buy after drinkin' up your wages at Gallagher's every Saturday evening, and the gas man here twice to-day for his. Woman, said Mr. McCaskey, dashing his coat and hat upon a chair, the noise of you is an insult to me appetite. When you'd run down politeness, you take the mortar from between the bricks of the foundations of society. Tis no more than exercising the acrimony of a gentleman when you ask the dissent of ladies blocking the way for stepping between them. Will you bring the pig's face of you out of the windy and see to the food? Mrs. McCaskey arose heavily and went to the stove. There was something in her manner that warned Mr. McCaskey. When the corners of her mouth went down suddenly like a barometer, it usually foretold a fall of crockery and tinware. "'Pig's face, is it?' said Mrs. McCaskey, and hurled a stewpan full of bacon and turnips at her lord. Mr. McCaskey was no novice at repartee. He knew what should follow the entree. On the table was a roast sirloin of pork, garnished with shamrocks. He retorted with his— and drew the appropriate return of a bread-pudding in an earthen dish. A hunk of Swiss cheese accurately thrown by her husband struck Mrs. McCaskey below one eye. When she replied with a well-aimed coffee-pot full of a hot, black, semi-fragrant liquid, the battle, according to courses, should have ended. But Mr. McCaskey was no fifty-cent table dolter. Let cheap bohemians consider coffee the end, if they would. Let them make that faux pas. He was foxier still. Finger-bowls were not beyond the compass of his experience. They were not to be had in the pension Murphy, but their equivalent was at hand. Triumphantly, he sent the granite-ware wash-basin at the head of his matrimonial adversary. Mrs. McCaskey dodged in time. She reached for a flat-iron, with which, as a sort of cordial, she hoped to bring the gastronomical duel to a close. But a loud wailing scream downstairs caused both her and Mr. McCaskey to pause in a sort of involuntary armistice. 
On the sidewalk at the corner of the house, Policeman Cleary was standing with one ear upturned, listening to the crash of household utensils. "'Tis John McCaskey and his missus at it again,' meditated the policeman. "'I wonder shall I go up and stop the row. I will not. Married folks they are, and few pleasures they have. Twill not last long. Sure, they'll have to borrow more dishes to keep it up with.' And just then came the loud scream— below stairs betokening fear or dire extremity tis probably the cat said policeman cleary and walked hastily in the other direction the boarders on the steps were fluttered mr toomey an insurance solicitor by birth and an investigator by profession went inside to analyze the scream he returned with the news that mrs murphy's little boy mike was lost following the messenger out bounced mrs murphy two hundred pounds in tears and hysterics clutching the air and howling to the sky for the loss of thirty pounds of freckles and mischief bathos truly but mr toomey sat down at the side of miss purdy millinery and their hands came together in sympathy the two old maids mrs walsh who complains every day about the noise in the halls inquired immediately if anybody had looked behind the clock Major Grigg, who sat by his fat wife on the top step, arose and buttoned his coat. "'The little one lost?' he exclaimed. "'I will scour the city.' His wife never allowed him out after dark, but now she said, "'Go, Ludovic,' in a baritone voice. "'Whoever can look upon that mother's grief without springing to her relief has a heart of stone.' "'Give me some thirty or sixty cents, my love,' said the Major. "'Lost children sometimes stray far. I may need car fares.' Old man Denny, hall room, fourth floor back, who sat on the lowest step trying to read a paper by the street lamp, turned over a page to follow up the article about the carpenter strike. Mrs. Murphy shrieked to the moon, "'Oh, our Mike, for God's sake, where is me little bit of a boy?' "'When did you see him last?' asked old man Denny, with one eye on the report of the building trade leagues. "'Oh,' wailed Mrs. Murphy, "'twas yesterday, or maybe four hours ago. I don't know.' "'But it's lost he is, me little boy Mike. "'He was playing on the sidewalk only this morning, or was it Wednesday? "'I'm not busy with work. "'Tis hard to keep up with dates. "'But I've looked the house over from top to cellar, and it's gone he is. "'Oh, for the love of heaven!' "'Silent, grim, colossal, the big city has ever stood against its revelers. "'They call it hard as iron. "'They say that no pulse of pity beats in its bosom.' They compared streets with lonely forests and deserts of lava, but beneath the hard crust of the lobsters found a delectable and luscious food. Perhaps a different smile would have been wiser. Still, nobody should take offense. We should call no one a lobster without good and sufficient claws. No calamity so touches the common heart of humanity as does the straying of a little child. Their feet are so uncertain and feeble. The ways are so steep and strange. Major Griggs hurried down to the corner and up the avenue into Billy's place. "'Give me a rye-high,' he said to the servitor. "'Haven't seen a bow-legged, dirty-faced little devil of a six-year-old lost kid around you anywhere, have you?' Mr. Toomey retained Miss Purdy's hands on the steps. "'Think of that little dear babe,' said Miss Purdy. "'Lost from his mother's side, perhaps already fallen beneath the iron hoofs of galloping steeds. "'Oh, isn't it dreadful?' "'Ain't that right,' agreed Mr. Toomey, squeezing her hand. "'Say, I start out and help look for him.' "'Perhaps,' said Miss Purdy. "'You should. "'But, oh, Mr. Toomey, you are so dashing, so reckless. "'Supposing your enthusiasm some accident should befall you. "'Then what?' 
Old man Denny read on about the arbitration agreement with one finger on the lines. In the second floor front, Mr. and Mrs. McCaskey came to the window to recover their second win. Mr. McCaskey was scooping turnips out of his vest with a crooked forefinger, and his lady was wiping an eye that the salt of the roast pork had not benefited. They heard the outcry below and thrust their heads out the window. "'Tis little Mike is lost,' said Mrs. McCaskey in a hushed voice, "'the beautiful little trouble-making angel of a gosson. "'The bit of a boy mislaid,' said Mr. McCaskey, leaning out the window. "'Why, now that's bad enough entirely. "'The childer they be different. "'If twas a woman I be willin', for they leave peace behind them when they go.' Disregarding the thrust, Mrs. McCaskey caught her husband's arm. "'John,' she said sentimentally, "'Mrs. Murphy's little boy is lost. "'Tis a great city for losing little boys. Six-year-old he was. "'John, tis the same age of our little boy would have been "'if we had had one six years ago.' "'We never did,' said Mr. McCaskey, lingering with the fact. "'But if we had, John, think what sorrow would be in our hearts tis night, "'with our little Phelan run away and stolen in the city nowheres at all.' "'Ye took foolishness,' said Mr. McCaskey. "'Tis Pat he would be named, after me old father in Cantrium.' "'Ye lie,' said Mrs. McCaskey, without anger. "'Me brother was worth ten dozen bog-trotting McCaskies. "'After him would the bye be named.' "'She leaned over the window-sill and looked down at the hurrying and bustle below. "'John,' said Mrs. McCaskey softly, "'I'm sorry I was hasty wid ye.' "'Twas hasty pudding, as ye say,' said her husband. "'And hurry up, turnips, and get a move on your coffee. "'Twas what ye could call a quick lunch. "'All right, and tell no lie.' "'Mrs. McCaskey slipped her arm inside her husband's "'and took his rough hands in hers. "'Listen at the crying of poor Mrs. Murphy,' she said. "'Tis an awful thing for a bit of a boy to be lost in this great big city. "'If twas our little failin', John, I'd be breaking me heart.' "'Awkwardly, Mr. McCaskey withdrew his hand, "'but he laid it around the nearing shoulder of his wife. "'Tis foolishness, of course,' said he roughly, "'but I'd be cut up some myself if our little Pat was kidnapped or anything. "'But there never forget was any childer for us. "'Sometimes I've been ugly and hard with you, Judy. Forget it.' They leaned together and looked down at the heart drama being acted below. Long they sat thus. People surged along the sidewalk, crowding, questioning, filling the air with rumors and inconsequent surmises. Mrs. Murphy ploughed back and forth in their midst, like a soft mountain down which plunged an audible cataract of tears. Couriers came and went. Loud voices and a renewed uproar were raised in front of the boarding-house. "'What's up now, Judy?' asked Mr. McCaskey. "'Tis Mrs. Murphy's voice,' said Mrs. McCaskey, harking. "'She says she's after finding little Mike asleep behind the roll of, of old linoleum under the bed in her room.' Mr. McCaskey laughed loudly. "'That's your failin,' he shouted sardonically. "'Zivil a bit would a pat have done that trick. "'If the boy we never had is strayed and stole, "'by the powers call him failin, "'and see him hide out under the bed like a mangy pup.' Mrs. McCaskey rose heavily and went toward the dish-closet, with the corners of her mouth drawn down. Policeman clearly came back around the corner as the crowd dispersed. Surprised, he upturned an ear toward the McCaskey apartment, where the crash of irons and china were and the ring of hurled kitchen utensils seemed as loud as before. Policeman Cleary took out his timepiece. "'By the deported snakes!' he exclaimed. "'John McCaskey and his lady have been fighting for an hour and a quarter by the watch. "'The missus could give him forty pounds weight, string to his arm.' 
Policeman clearly strolled back around the corner. Old man Denny folded his paper and hurried up the steps just as Mrs. Murphy was about to lock the door for the night. End of chapter 4